This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. And as they're heading on back, just want to welcome everyone else. Um, uh, If you've been with us the past couple months, we've been in a series um, with Paul's letter to the Galatians called Set Free to Live Free, and you can see the graphic there. And it's really, you know, it's a a series and it's a letter uh, that's about freedom, and and not just any kind of freedom, but freedom of the deepest kind, uh, freedom in Christ. And um, we've been discovering what it means to let the gospel, which is the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, give us true freedom from our broken world, both of personal sin and a systemic evil. Um, so if you've been with us at all in this past few months in this series, um, you know the situation, but let's review it because um, it's an important context to understand what Paul's talking about. And as you might remember, the situation in Galatians is that Paul's writing to this early church in order to protect them and guide them away from an extremely dangerous teaching that was infecting the early church. And this teaching was from a group of people within the church whom Paul called the circumcision group that were teaching that Gentile Christians, so these are Christians who are not Jews, needed to become circumcised in order to fully receive the full benefit of the gospel and fully participate in the family of God in the church. Um, And why would they be teaching this? Um, Just as a review, it was because they believed in order to become fully the part of the family of God, one had to become Jewish, Jewish. And they believe this because in Genesis 12, God gave a promise, a blessing to Abraham and specifically to his offspring, which through his son Isaac was the line of the Jews formed in the nation of Israel. This threefold blessing was for homeland children who would form a great nation and who would be blessed in order to be a blessing to all nations. So the circumcision group believed in order to inherit this blessing, you had to become a child of Abraham. You might be thinking, how can you do that? Um, But you could. A Gentile could become Jewish by doing what's called following the works of the law. Now, this term meant living both morally according to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, as well as, and maybe most importantly, getting, uh, doing ritual Jewish identity markers, which are like keeping kosher, which you've heard of, but most importantly, uh, by getting circumcised for males. And that was because circumcision was a very important physical marker of what it meant to be Jewish. And so that's why Paul called these people the circumcision group. Paul's main message throughout Galatians was that to be circumcised and rely on following the law, being identified as Jewish, does not assure one's inclusion into the family of God, nor does it make you right with God. Instead, the main message of Galatians, which which we're passed on to today, is that only faith, only faith, which is a trusting whole life relationship with Christ, can make you right with God and make you an heir to God's promise of blessing. So that's kind of where we've been so far. And so this morning, we're going to come to a major turning point in the book of Galatians. Galatians is broken up into two parts. Uh, It's chapters 1 through 4 on one part, and then 5 and 6. So last week, we finished up the first part of the book with the end of chapter 4. And today, we're going to transition to the second half of the book with Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. Now, the best way of understanding these two halves or what these two parts are talking about is to understand what question each part is asking and answering. Chapters 1 through 4 is asking the identity question, and this is what we've been over, over and over again. What, who are the true people of God? And what makes you part of the family of God, the true people of God? Is it the being physical, part of physical Israel, which is following the law, or is it being part of the church, which is through faith, a faith relationship with Jesus? 
So that's the first part of Galatians. It's trying to establish this. And of course, Paul's answer is that the true people of God are those who have faith in Christ, the church. And following the law in order to be Jewish does not matter, nor does any other sort of distinction or thing you do or are apart from having a faith relationship with Jesus. And that's why Paul says famously in verses three, Galatians 3, 28, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. That's the basis for that. Now, chapters five and six, which is what we're going to be getting into, ask the corresponding ethical question. So the first was an identity question. The next is an ethical question. Given that, how should we live our lives? How should we live our lives? What do we actually do in our everyday life? How do we make moral decisions? How do we make decisions about how we raise our families? What jobs we take? How we spend our money? Is it according to the law or is it following the spirit? This is an important question. Because the circumcision group would have, uh, or they were uh, criticizing Paul for doing away with the law. Not just because it, it left you know, them without their far more identity, because, but also because it left the church with little or no guidance on how to actually live rightly. They accused Paul of letting the church free, free to live however they wanted, which would of course allow them to slide into the lives of sin, immorality, and chaos. They accused Paul of giving them too much freedom. Paul, over the next two chapters, refutes these accusations and shows them how, after Christ is risen, God has given the church and us the Spirit, the Spirit as our guide and power towards living uh, in a right way. Paul actually even makes the argument that the Spirit is actually better than the law. The Spirit is better than the law. The Spirit shows us an even better, more moral, and more godly way to live. And not only that, the Spirit empowers us to live rightly in a way that the law never could or did. So that's what we're going to be going over the next four, uh, couple weeks as we finish up Galatians. Paul's dwelling in this question, how then, giving our identity in Christ and not in other things, should we live? And he says it's by the Spirit. The Spirit is what shows you how to do it even better than before and also gives you the power. So this week is going to be more of a transition into that. So let's jump right into it um, with Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Set, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Okay, so before we move on to the rest of the, you know, the, the next 14 verses, we have to talk about this verse. We have to pause and talk about this verse first. And the reason why we need to pause on this verse specifically is because when we hear this phrase, it is for freedom, Christ has set us free, we need to recognize and own the way that we, we in our day and age here in this room, the way we hear this verse. Why? Because our particular culture as modern Westerners, and especially as Americans, we hear the word freedom in a really special and powerful way. We hear this passage as a very deep philosophical statement that existentially, it's for freedom's sake alone that we have been set free. And that's you know, kind of how the NIV translates it. But we hear it as that freedom is an end in and of itself. And in the context of the letter, in the context of the original Greek that is actually not really what Paul is saying. Paul's saying something a lot simpler. Um, many commentators translated a different way to compensate for the exaggerated way we hear this phrase. Other uh, versions have translated, Christ has set us free to live a free life, or the Messiah has set us free so that we could enjoy freedom, or Christ has set us free for freedom. And this makes a lot of sense in the context of the passage. All Paul's trying to say is that 
He's telling the Galatians, you have been made free from the, law, from the law to be free. So don't go back to slavery to the law. That's all he's trying to say. But we hear it in this much more grandiose, loftier, existential way. And that's because freedom, freedom is one of the most deeply held core values of our present culture. Inherently and in and of itself, we value freedom very highly. Most of our entire political and legal philosophy and economic systems are based on that core principle that freedom for the individual, the ability to choose and control what one, one does, to be who one wants to be, is an inherent value no matter what the person decides to do with that freedom. For Americans, freedom for freedom's sake is so valuable, it's worth dying for. In fact, New Hampshire's state motto, which they put on their license plate, is live free or die. So it's a deeply held value. And of course, this is no critique of that, about that. Freedom is a really good thing. Freedom is a very good thing. Oppressive control and coercion by violence and abuse of power by a government or by an individual is, can and have been used to great harm and injustice to many people. Freedom is also very important when we think about what love is. You can't have love without freedom, but we'll, we'll get to that later. So all I'm saying is that we need to recognize that in American culture, the air we live and breathe in deeply and profoundly values freedom, especially individual freedom. Robert Bella, who's one of the most prominent sociologists of the modern era, wrote this. Freedom is perhaps the most resonant, deeply held American value. In some ways, it defines the good in both personal and political life. Yet freedom turns out to be mean being left alone by others, not having other people's values, ideas, or styles of life forced upon us, free, being free of arbitrary authority in work, family, and political life. What it is that one might do with that freedom is much more difficult for Americans to define. Freedom for us, again, is deeply understood as primarily a sheer independence. And again, this isn't a criticism. That is a very, very good thing for many reasons. However, the point is, is that our culture's appreciation and understanding of freedom isn't complete. It's a little bit incomplete. Why? As Bella notes, our culture tells us that freedom is good and it's right, but it doesn't tell us what freedom is for. It doesn't tell us what we might want to do with this freedom. And of course, that's important because we all know that you can use your freedom for bad things, right? We know that when kids grow up and they're you know, released to live freely as college student or post-college adults, they can do things like eat poorly, play video games all day, waste money, time, abuse drugs, alcohol, and sex. It can happen. Criminals released from jail can use their freedom to commit more crimes, even worse crimes. And just because you have freedom to get a tattoo, like this one, <laughs> just, just look at it. It'll make sense. It took me like three looks at this to understand the joke. Just because you can get a tattoo doesn't mean you should, especially if you can't spell. <laughs> So American culture is right in valuing freedom, but it's just a little bit incomplete. It doesn't tell us what our freedom is for. Scripture, of course, has more to say about what freedom is for and gives us a fuller picture of what freedom is. Scripture, both here in Galatians and actually throughout the Bible, throughout the whole of the Bible, tells us not what we just have freedom from, but also Scripture tells us what we have freedom for. So let's continue on. We'll get to that in a little bit. There's a little more to go. Uh, this is Galatians 5, verses 2 through 7. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you of all, at all. 
Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So let's look briefly at this part. Here Paul now is finally addressing explicitly what has been the problem in Galatia in a practical real-life level. As we've been discussing, the Galatian Christians do not, or Gentile Christians do not need to be circumcised or become ritually identified as Jewish in order to become a Christian. And Paul urges them not to do it. Because if they do, and that they are succumbing to the pressure of the circumcision group, and thus they are missing out totally. This is Paul's point. If you're totally missing out on the gift of grace, that Christ gives you through being made right with God only through the basis of faith in him. As Paul argues, argued before, we're in a new age. The time of the law has passed. We're in a new age. The law, he's called the law a pedagogue or a babysitter. And now it's done. We're, the time of the law is done. We're done. It's done serving its temporary purpose to protect us and show us our sin. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, anyone can be made right with God by grace through a faith relationship with Christ. So if you give into the pressure that you also need to be Jewish and rely back on the law, you're rejecting Jesus as a gift of grace. And as Paul says in verse 4, you have fallen away from grace. And in verse 6, he says that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Because of this new reality of Christ, there is nothing apart from faith relationship with Christ that determines if you're right with God and part of God's family or blessing. Nothing. So in the end, if you're circumcised, fine. It doesn't matter. If you're uncircumcised because you're born a Gentile, you don't need to get circumcised. But if you do it because of the pressure, because of this teaching, or if you think you're better than other people because you are circumcised or anything else, you are forfeiting the freedom given to us in the gospel. A new identity as a child of God found in Christ, and you are excluding yourselves from the blessings of God. But note one thing, and this is kind of going to be important for today. What does this passage tell us what freedom is for? Now, there are a few hints here that we'll Paul flesh out a little bit later. In verses 5 and 6, we'll see that freedom is not just for freedom's sake alone. For Paul, there's something more. Verse 5, he says that through the Spirit, we eagerly await for, by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And in verse 6, the, thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So there's more beyond freedom. There's something beyond the horizon of freedom, the hope of righteousness, faith expressed in love. There's something more than just being free. Freedom is for something. And we'll come back to this. So let's continue on uh, to verses 7 through 12. Um, and Paul, you know, as if you've been reading this letter, you know, Paul is very upset and he gets a little bit... Um, he gets a little bit salty here, and he takes a couple of jabs at the circumcision group with some puns, so see if you catch them. It's verse 7. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever it may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for the, these agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. All right, so Paul's a little fired up here. 
And he catches a couple of little cutting insults there for the circumcision group. Um, so what Paul's doing is continuing, continuing to warn them that the circumcision group is really, really dangerous because there is no compromise when it comes to understanding that the gospel is about faith in Jesus alone. There's no compromise. You cannot hedge your bets on this because like, a little, like yeast and bread, even the tiny bit, bit of yeast can work its way and leaven an entire loaf. Once you add anything to the gospel other than receiving the gift of Christ through Christ's work through faith, a faith relationship with Christ alone, it completely ceases to become grace and goes back to being something you earn, something you deserve, something altogether different than the gospel, which again, in, Paul calls in chapter one, an entire gospel, uh, a different entire go- of gospel entirely, which is no gospel at all. Paul's angry and again, throws in that little jab at the end that they shouldn't just be circumcised, but finish the job and become eunuchs. And this brings us to the turning point in Galatians. Paul wants to be super clear. For the Galatian church, living in freedom means not being caught up with a Mosaic law that demanded circumcision. And last week, we learned how this applies to us, that we are free. And freedom means being free from being caught up in anything else that says it can save us or validate you or make you feel like you're okay. Christ gives us freedom from the idols of our culture, the idols of identity, where and what we do from work, where we went to college, our relationship status, our online identities on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, our bank accounts and the things we own, what we drive, where we live, how many friends we have, how busy we are, and who we hang out with. We are free. We are free from these things. And last week, we talked about how taking Sabbaths from them can help us learn to be free from those things. So that's the, what we've been freed from. But our question today is what is freedom for? What's freedom for? We know what we're free from, but what is freedom for? What are we freed for? Remember, American culture says that freedom in and of itself is good, full stop. But it doesn't tell it what freedom is for. God does tell us what freedom is for. And so let's read on to this last section of scripture and we'll see the answer to this question of what we've been made freed for. This is verses 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. All right, so Paul here tells us exactly and explicitly what freedom is for. He says it's not to indulge in the flesh. It's not so you can just do whatever you want. It's not so you can seek your own good without restriction. That would only result in a community that's marked by infighting, squabbling, and self-destruction. Instead, our freedom is for love. It's for love, and not just any type of love. It's not just kind of the like Hollywood, Ryan Gosling type of love where you just, you know, you feel warm and fuzzy. It's not the I love pizza kind of love, right? Like this is a specific type of love. This is a specific type of love. This is love as humble service to one another. Humble service as one another. Freedom is for living lives where you love your neighbor as yourself. And who is our neighbor? 
Our neighbors aren't just people who look like us, who agree with us about everything, faith, politics, lifestyle, culture. In the parable of Good Samaritan, Jesus defines your neighbor as not just the people who literally live in the same neighborhood as you, but Jesus says our neighbor is everyone. People who look differently, eat differently, vote differently, and act differently. People who fit, even people who fit in the categories of our enemies, those are our neighbors. And that is what freedom is for, for loving our neighbor as ourself. But freedom is not, again, isn't just so we can do whatever we want. Freedom, God doesn't give us freedom so we can indulge in our whatever pleasures or comfort our bodies desire or indulge in whatever we want because truly free people aren't people who self-optimize and leverage every opportunity for personal gain. Truly free people aren't people who only care to help those who can help us with our careers or increase our social status. That's not actually freedom. That's just going back to the idols that we just escaped. Rather, we're free if we're people who do what God calls us to be, people who love, people who serve humbly, putting others' need before ourselves. We're free from ourselves in that way. This idea of freedom as humble service, on the one hand, is completely counterintuitive, but on the other hand, it makes total sense at the same time. It's counterintuitive because it cuts against every notion of our culture that, and maybe just a basic human notion of what freedom truly is, and that's that freedom is all about yourself, about not needing anybody else, about not being needed by anyone else about not being imposed upon by anyone else and not needing to do anything for anyone at any particular time. That's what we think freedom is. Our culture thinks what freedom is. And this idea of freedom cuts against that. This says that freedom is actually connected to love. And love is interdependent. Love is about relationships. Love is about humble service to others in community. And this actually makes sense as well. Because what sort of society or any type of community or, or, or even a family what kind of family or society or community can function well without people who love? People who sacrifice their own self-interest for the good of others. It doesn't work. Any society or community where freedom exists, or a society and community where freedom exists, only such that everyone is free to pursue their own self-interest, is a really ugly place. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world where there are winners and losers, and it's a zero-sum game. Freedom isn't just about us being free to pursue our own self-interest with no restrictions. Paul warns us, if we do this, if, uh, if we're a community that uses our freedom only to pursue our self-interest rather than humbly serve others in love, we'll be a community that looks a lot more like the House of Cards or Game of Thrones rather than the family of God. This is why Paul concludes this section by warning us in 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul warns us that if we live like this, if we shape our communities like this, if we shape our world like this, using our freedom for independence, only serving our self-interest, we'll be a community that can only end in self-assured mutual destruction. But more importantly, that is not what freedom looks like for the true people of God. Those who are in the church, which remember the church is Christ's body. Biblical Christian freedom is only, uh, is only about is only about cross-shaped love lived out in real-life relationships in messy community. Freedom is not actually ultimately about independence. It's actually about interdependence in Christ. Now, you might be thinking, okay, this is really hard. I've tried this. Um, and next week, Paul is going to show us in the next passage how, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, this actually works and happens. We'll see how we're actually being transformed from people who use our freedom for ourselves 
to people who use our freedom to love our neighbors as ourselves. But for today, we need to understand and more importantly, use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love. So I want to leave us with a challenge for today. I want to leave us with a challenge for today. First, I'd like us all to consider where in our lives have we been given the most freedom? Where do we have the most freedom in our lives? Where do we have the most freedom, independence, power to choose things in our life? And then ask yourself, how do you use that specific freedom to serve others? This is more of an asset-based way to think about service. Now, for all of us who have trusted uh, our lives to Jesus, we all have riches of spiritual freedom. And of course, we need to consider how we can share this freedom, a spiritual security we have in Christ with others that don't have it. But outside of that kind of fundamental uh, baseline thing, ask yourself, where are you most free in your life? And how can you serve others in that freedom? Let me give you some examples. And this is going to be different for all of us. So these are, but these are just some examples. Some of us have been given financial freedom. We've been blessed with money beyond what we need to take care of our basic needs. And we all have varying degrees of this. So how might you use that financial freedom to love your neighbor as yourself? I know of one very financially free family where if the husband wants to make a major purchase beyond their basic needs for fun, like a new car or a vacation that wasn't planned, he makes an equivalent or greater donation towards a nonprofit or ministry serving the poor. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. It makes you think twice about buying a car, but pretty cool. Or maybe more simply, for, 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 uh, how might you use your going out to eat, your entertainment money? You know, if you, if you budget money to go out to eat, how might you use that to serve others? So maybe instead of going out to eat for yourself, why not use that money to cook a nice dinner and invite someone over who just moved to the area or who you know is lonely? Or go out and treat someone to lunch who you know is stressed, discouraged, or anxious. Pretty simple thing. Or some of us might have more freedom in our schedules. You might have a job or a family situation where you have more freedom to dictate and control your schedule or just have large chunks of time that are free. You might, more so than others, have freedom to volunteer during the workday, like for an after-school program, some of our ministry partners in East Palo to like Bayshore Christian Ministries, or teaching a lunchtime financial skills, life skills class through our partners at AbleWorks. Just some examples. Or you might be able to offer yourself to help out a single mom or a stressed out family by offering to babysit or run errands during the workday if you have freedom in your schedule. Some of you might have freedom in your career choices. If you happen to be in, in, in an industry where the labor market favors the employees, you might have more choice in where you work. You might pick a particular company or job or work that project that doesn't necessarily maximize your career earning potential, but instead maximizes your ability to make a positive impact in the world for the common good. You might pick a company whose mission or product focuses on underserved markets or demographics, or you might pick a job that has better work-life balance so that you have the time and energy to actually effectively serve others. You might be a person with relational freedom because you have a strong network and community of friends, family, and church around you. You might have more relational energy to devote towards loving those who are difficult to love serving those who have greater needs than others, or you might be in a position to help include others who don't have community into your own group of friends and social network. You get the point. You get the point. This is going to be different for everyone, but ask yourself, where have you been given a lot of freedom, and how can you use your freedom for love? Because Galatians says that we are to use our freedom for what? To serve others humbly.
So where are you most free? One more small point about freedom, which is why this is freedom and serving are so deeply connected. Freedom is an important ingredient into what it means to love. You cannot love really without freedom, really. You can't love someone if you're forced to. If you're loving someone because you're forced to, it's not really love. You can't truly love someone if it's done solely out of convenience and self-interest either. Because if you love someone just for your own interest, it's not really love. God gives you freedom so that you can make the choice to love. There's an inherent connection between being able to choose in your own hearts or with your, what you do with your time or energy and what you love. Love always happens out of the freedom we have, about choosing, making the choice, the free choice to humbly serve the other. And that's our call. It's ultimately to love. And again, not just the love and the warm, fuzzy you know, sense of sentimentality or empathy. Scripture gives us this specific understanding of what love is. And where do we see that the most clearly? And of course, it's on Jesus on the cross. In the scriptures, love is cross-shaped. Love is self-sacrifice for others. Christ had the deepest and most profound freedom of all. He could have done anything with his power and authority on earth and over all of creation. He could have done anything. And the devil, as you know, tempted him many different ways. But what did he choose in his life? He didn't choose to indulge his flesh, seek out his own comfort and interest and power. Instead, what did he choose? He chose to die a horrible death. And why did he choose that for his life work? Because he loved us. He loves us. He loves us. He chose this so that we, you and I, might have life, that we might be freed by his suffering and death from our own sins and from the evil of the world, from the spiritual powers of the world. He did this so that we might have freedom. Love is self-sacrificing, humble service for others. Love is the cross. So I'm going to invite the band up. And fittingly today, we're going to close with communion. And, you can, um, and as the band plays, you can walk up um, the, the sides of the aisles and take the bread and the, and the juice. And communion is fitting because this is the thing we do to remember Christ's act of love by letting his body be broken and his blood be shed for us. So as you come up the aisles and eat, and gra- you know, as you grab the, the bread and uh, dip it in the juice, remember that this, this meal is what love looks like. Jesus' body broken and blood shed for you and me. The love, this is the love that frees us. And as you eat and drink, pray and ask God to show you where you are most free and how you can use that freedom according to our call as images of God to show love like Christ and humbly serve others, to love others as ourselves. And in that, may we fulfill the promise of Abraham to be people who are blessed through Christ to be a blessing to all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us our freedom. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send your own son who in his free will chose to obey you and to die on our behalf so that we might have freedom from our own sins, from the penalty uh, that we deserve. 
that we might have life through the body of the risen Christ. God, we thank you for sending your son, for being willing to give up the son whom you love so much because you loved us. And God, as we eat and drink of this cup and bread, we ask that we would become more like your son, Jesus, that we would understand what it means to, make, uh, to take our freedom and to use it like your son to love others, to put ourselves aside, to put our needs aside for a moment so that we might serve someone else. God, help us to know what that looks like. God, you've given us freedom on so many levels. Help us to know how to use and be, challenge us to use our freedom to serve others, whatever that might be for each of us. And help us to do this as a community. Help us to be a community that is marked by love, a community that's marked by looking out for the interest of each other, and that we, may, that we might be a light into this world, a world that is so dark with, with, uh, with just self-seeking interest that we might be a light that shows the world who you are through the way that we love each other and through the way that we love the world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his body. Thank you for his blood shed for us out of love. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.